Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week, we'll be discussing a new topic or trend, so you can stay informed the easy way. Serena, what are we talking about this week? I would like to start this episode with a joke. This is actually a joke that I learned in elementary school when we were learning about dinosaurs. And then, while I was researching for this episode, I actually learned something shocking about this joke, mainly that it's not true. But I will tell you the joke. Why can't you hear a pterodactyl going to the bathroom? I don't know. Why can't you hear a pterodactyl going to the bathroom? Because the P is silent. You know how pterodactyl has a P before the T? Anyway, while I was researching for this episode, I found out that pterodactyls are not dinosaurs. They have a common ancestor with dinosaurs, but they're not dinosaurs. They're not birds either, because their wings are different, but pterodactyls are not dinosaurs. And my elementary school mind has just been blown because we learned that pterodactyls are dinosaurs. And I thought of pterodactyls as my favorite dinosaurs. And we used to sing this dinosaur pterodactyl song. Basically, while researching for this episode, I learned that my entire childhood was a lie. Yeah, so I think pterodactyls are from the Triassic period, which is just before the Jurassic period. So the Jurassic period is when dinosaurs basically ruled the earth. But pterodactyls first appeared during the Triassic period, and the Triassic period is super interesting. It was, according to paleontologists who work on a whole different notion of time, it was only 52 million years long, this period. And there was the Great Dying before, so one mass extinction. And then afterwards, there was the Triassic extinction. So it was this period between two extinctions. So, you know, three quarters of all of the world's species were basically wiped out during an extinction. People say that actually we're in the sixth mass extinction right now in this very period. There's a book written about it. But anyway, so what happens after a mass extinction is a bunch of species sort of come up. And because there's no competition, loads and loads of weird species come up because there's a lot of space. And then when there's competition, you know, they can start narrowing down the species. But like a whole load of truly diverse creatures appear. And what kind of confused scientists, when they looked at a lot of the species from this period, which was about, I guess, more than 200 million years ago, there were these species like, for example, Drepanosaurs, which kind of looked very much like a chameleon nowadays, but it had kind of a beak. But all the scientists were confused because actually chameleons only happened really 100 million years ago and there was no relation between the two. And the same with like a lot of creatures, which kind of look like modern creatures, but, you know, like creatures that look like birds, for example, but then they're kind of reptiles. And yeah, they have like sort of no relation to these modern creatures, they just look like them because life just keeps on using these same sort of body plans to make stuff. So things look superficially like a creature today, but they all died out. Not all of them, but a lot of them died out. And then afterwards, the same body plans were used to form life again, 
but they only looked the same. Like there was no actual relation between these creatures and other creatures. So super fascinating just how life, you know, it's got like a bunch of building cubes or something and it just keeps on like using them to make all these creatures, but in sort of totally different ways. It's fascinating. I love this idea that humanity thinks that we're so special and at the end of the day, we're just repeated blueprints of what happened before, 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 before. I was watching this video where Dr. Hans Seuss, who is a German-born paleontologist who is now curator of vertebrae paleontology of the National Museum of Natural History at the Smithsonian, and he is talking about how back in the day in Italy, there used to be giant hedgehogs that roamed around, and we also used to have tiny elephants that were so small that you could keep them as pets and how nature adapts to the needs and how certain animals dies and certain animals come and all this stuff. He's super funny. He's also the one who broke the news to me that pterodactyls aren't dinosaurs. I'm very hung up on this because it was a big part of my childhood. But also what I love about everything that you just said is I got really hung up on very different details. So like the history of dinosaurs didn't interest me that much. But for example, I was like, how do we know what color dinosaurs are? What do they look like? What sounds do they make? All of these superficial details about them. And he actually answered a lot of these questions in this video. And my favorite thing that he said was that, oh yeah, they could have been really colorful with feathers. And then they looked like many of the birds that are alive today. And it reminded me of how we, we have this like construct in our head of what dinosaurs look like. Okay, I have so much to say about this too, because the latest research, which is kind of why we're discussing this, because there was a kind of groundbreaking paper in paleontology that basically just said about how dinosaurs in all of our drawings and modern culture have kind of been typecast, <laughs> because they've always been seen as, you know, like in Jurassic Park and stuff, as wandering around in these super tropical environments. But they did this recent study because it's, it's always been a kind of mystery as to why after the Triassic period, there was this mass sort of um, extinction and how the dinosaurs came to rule the world and become the dominant species. And what a guy called Paul Olson came up with now, he was the lead author on a study along with a bunch of other people at the Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory at Columbia University. They did this dig in China and they came up with the theory that dinosaurs were fundamentally cold adapted animals. So they had loads of feathers on them and they had previously occupied high altitudes or peaks or maybe in the north, like, you know, the North Poles, where actually at that time it was not frozen. There were forests there, but at certain points it would go below zero. And then with all these volcanic eruptions that happened that they think caused the Triassic extinction, there was a lot of volcanic cloud basically released into the air and it blocked the sunlight and it gave these years of polar kind of winters caused by the volcanoes and the volcanic ash. And that's why a lot of creatures died and dinosaurs were able to survive. And a lot of them, like you said, they're like birds and birds are warm-blooded. So, yeah, they were mostly a minority group living in the high altitudes, but then afterwards they were just able to sort of fill the earth. And yeah, the colours, because birds can see colours and birds have really colourful plumes and stuff, 
So there's no reason why dinosaurs shouldn't be colorful. So everything we saw, like as kids, everything I saw as a child, maybe it's changed now, you know, were these kind of brown dinosaurs in hot climates. They could actually look quite different. Yes. So the first known, I guess I should say the first known discovery of a dinosaur bone was actually in England. It was Robert Plott, who lived from 1640 to 1696. He was a naturalist and the first professor of chemistry at the University of Oxford. And he was the one who discovered the first bone. So this idea that, you know, like, dinosaurs lived somewhere tropical or warm climates. All these lies, basically, that Hollywood sells us are incorrect. And actually, just because I'm going to bring up pterodactyls once more, the majority of pterodactyl bones were found in Bavaria, which is the least tropical place ever. So, But again, it doesn't matter because pterodactyls aren't dinosaurs. Anyway, going back to this Dr. Hans Seuss interview that I was watching... One of the things that he says in this interview is, well, things like Jurassic Park are entertainment. They're not science, because he's basically talking about how T-Rex is actually... I haven't seen Jurassic Park, but from what I've gathered, one of the major plot lines in Jurassic Park is is that the T-Rex can't see and can't smell, so you just can't move. You have to stay super still. And he points out how actually this isn't true. They have very good sense of smell. So in reality, the T-Rex would have smelt the humans immediately and eaten them up. By the way, T-Rexes eat everything. They would have eaten you whole. We can tell that from remains found that T-Rexes would eat you, not you, obviously, because humans weren't alive back then, but they would eat their prey with the bones, everything intact. Like they wouldn't pick off the meat, they just go for the full thing. But anyway, his point was, yes, things like Jurassic Park are entertainment. They're not science because they're not factually correct and they perpetuate a lot of misconceptions. But then I was thinking while listening to this, I'm like, but isn't that the problem? Because everything I learned about dinosaurs in elementary school, I mean, clearly it was wrong, but I don't remember much of that. And all of my like preconceived notions of what dinosaurs are come from things like Jurassic Park. So isn't Having kind of accurate representations of dinosaurs in movies really important. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, entertainment can't be entertainment, but surely, like, media is so strong and we remember things we've seen on television and movies more than things that we've learned in school. So surely the entertainment industry has a certain responsibility to not perpetuate lies. Also interesting, he says that Dinosaurs probably didn't make noises in the way that we think they do, the way that Jurassic Park has led us to believe, because we have no evidence of the sounds that they made, but based on scientific assumptions made on existing animals that are related to dinosaurs, they think the most they would have huffed and grunted. Did you know that the T-Rex is most closely related to the chicken and the ostrich today? Um, I think it's important to remember a couple of things because like when we talk about this kind of stuff, we're talking about like hundreds of millions of years. So like when you say Bavaria and the UK, like it wasn't Bavaria in the UK, it was all one continent. And also the climate was completely different. Like it was completely unimaginably sort of different. So I don't know what, like now when you just said like, oh, these birds flying around Bavaria, I'm actually thinking about like Bavaria, but it's, it was totally a different landscape, which is mind blowing. About Jurassic Park, 
I mean, I think, yeah, they do have a certain responsibility, but they only knew the stuff about the feathers actually very recently and all of this kind of stuff and the colours and all of this. And science itself keeps on changing its mind and, and discovering new stuff. And the other thing to remember is also like paleontology is a very young science. And before this, the belief in science was actually that nothing went extinct. Like there was no such thing. Like everything here was has always been here and there weren't these periods of whole different creatures inhabiting the earth. It's a, quite an interesting mind experiment to to try and expand your perception of space and time when you think about these things, which I find super fascinating because, you know, like we only live for like, I don't know, 100 years. And human beings have only been on the planet for 200,000 years. Whereas dinosaurs were predominant on the earth for 140 million years. So it's a kind of exercise in sort of seeing a really, really, really big picture. And at some point, like, it's kind of calming too, because if we are in the sixth mass extinction, I'm not saying we should be complacent about it. And it doesn't sound nice at all when you've got, like, clouds of sulfur or asteroids and all these natural disasters or, like, horrible living conditions or, like, freezing Earth or, you know, scorching Earth and stuff like that. But it's kind of calming that just to think, well, it's happened before... And everything's just going to reform over millions and millions of years and weird new life will appear and will just be a little blip. It's kind of a nice thing to think about in the midst of catastrophe and also that, you know, we think our lives are so profoundly important. And it's like, yeah, we're just a blip. I love that. <laughs> we're completely irrelevant. <laughs> we're just a blip in time. Nothing matters. I mean, you know, yeah, I I fully see your point, and maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh on Hollywood, although there's a sentence I never thought I would say. But also, at the same time, there have been recent Jurassic Park movies that came out, and they're still perpetuating the old stereotypes. But I guess it would probably be very, very funny if all of a sudden the T-Rex had, like, I don't know, a feather crown or something. People would not go see that movie and people would get very mad. So essentially, they've dug their grave and now they have to lay in it. Which I, I'm going to suggest that we make a new dinosaur movie and we portray dinosaurs accurately. And we can just make it a complete remake of Jurassic Park. But the dinosaurs are very colorful. I think what I'm trying to invent is dinosaur drag queens. Dinosaur drag queens is a great name for a show it kind of reminds me of something like a dinosaur comes on and is looking a bit drab or is you know or is quite pretty but is kind of thinking about how it could best adapt itself to a new environment as it travels through the planet and then you can add on like a colorful beak or claws or something like that so the most mind-blowing thing that i found when i was researching this is actually about sharks Sharks are older than dinosaurs. Sharks go back 450 million years. Sharks, they have existed for that long. And the earliest tree lived around 350 million years ago, which means that sharks have existed for longer than trees. And they have survived four of the five mass extinctions. I'm so impressed. 
I have newfound respect for sharks. Also, I'm terrified of sharks. I think if there's anything that anyone takes away from this episode, it should definitely be that we've invented a new TV show in which dinosaurs get makeovers. Pterodactyls are not dinosaurs. Birds are dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are very, very colorful and had feathers. I also like this idea of if we're in a new age of like extinction, the idea that in the next wave, maybe, you know, instead of giant hedgehogs, maybe we would have something like tiny giraffes. That's a pretty great idea. I wonder if their tongues would still be as gross if they were very small. Giraffes have very gross tongues, but I think mostly it's their size that makes them kind of gross. So if they were smaller, maybe giraffe tongues wouldn't be so gross. You look very, very disturbed and confused. Sorry, can you explain what exactly is gross about a giraffe's tongue? I would like a proper description and a justification for this accusation against giraffes. A giraffe's tongue looks like either a weirdly large dead slug or some sort of laffy taffy plastic disgustingness. It's massive. They can like pick their nose with it. It's this like icky, slimy looking texture. It's bluish. It's so gross and it just kind of wiggles about like some sort of a dying fish in their mouth. If Mother Nature needs to figure anything out, it needs to figure out giraffe's tongue. I'm sure that there's some evolutionary reason for it, and I'm sure that it serves some purpose, and that the giraffe has this disgusting tongue for some super valid reason, but I, for one, will not stand for it. It looks like a little bit like a snake coming out of the mouth, but I actually love that the giraffe can pick its nose with its tongue. And I think that's a really valid evolutionary reason for that to exist. And I think after we all die out, all creatures should have tongues they can pick their nose with, clean their ears out with, and lick their eyeballs with. I'm all for it. So uh, I think we've said everything that needs to be said on this matter. And here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one. Nature and life on Earth is fascinating and weird and disgusting. And if you're feeling a bit caught up in everything that's happening in the human world, there's nothing better than to just look at weird and wonderful creatures and dinosaurs. Thing two, support your local museum. In Berlin, it's the Naturkunde Museum. And go explore... There are exhibitions about dinosaurs. And remember, COVID isn't over, so maintain a social distance. And thing three, one of the most fascinating things I learned from researching this episode is that a lot of rocks and minerals that we get on this planet would actually not be possible and do not exist on other planets that don't have any life without animals because we produce oxygen, which is like fundamental in geology and stuff like that. So it just shows how we're all just so closely intertwined with our environment, us and the rocks and minerals and everything around us. And I think that's always a good perspective to have in mind. Thank you for listening. Until next week. Goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as €4 Euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed.
For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.